Hey, this is Joe Caminetti Jr. Welcome to the BC Podcast. We hope it inspires you and helps you in your journey with Jesus. Enjoy the message. But I want to welcome you to Believer's Church. We're so excited to have you. I want to say a special hello to everyone at TCI. We are honored to have you be a part of the BC family. I also want to say a special hello, and I miss you to my family at BC Boardman. And of course, it is so good to be right here at BC Warren. And in the room, can we give it up for everybody that's joining us from all over the valley? We're excited that you're here. And we're continuing in this series called Reconstructing. And I don't know about you, but this series has been very helpful for me. And uh, we know that it's helping all of us in different ways. Some of us, it is just bolstering our faith and strengthening the faith that was already there. And I've talked to so many people, their family has told me as well, uh, people that came to BC on Easter weekend as skeptics or really with a lot of doubts and questions about this thing called church. And they walked out uh, putting their faith in Jesus and taking a first step in their faith. And now they're just hungry to learn how to grow. And so if you haven't already, I just want to encourage you, go back and listen to the first two messages and we'll build on that uh, today. And so I want to start this message by asking you a question, all right? I wonder how many of you have ever been mistaken for someone else. Like, has anyone ever come to you and thought that you were somebody that you really weren't? Uh, last year, I was at a conference. There were a lot of other pastors there, and my wife and I are mingling, and we're just catching up with old friends, having a really good time. And out of nowhere, I mean, it kind of startled me. I felt not a tap, like a slap, a smack on my rear end. <laughs> Can't make this up. And you know how your mind is processing a bunch of things all at once? And I'm like, who could this be? It better be somebody that's a friend that's, you know, just messing with me. And as I started to slowly turn to see who it was, I remember in slow motion locking eyes with the person and realizing, I don't know this person at all. Like, I have no clue who this person is. And the best part was when I saw in his eyes that he realized he didn't know me at all either. <laughs> and... He turned 20 different shades of embarrassed and started to apologize profusely. And I had heard him say a name that wasn't my name and it all came together. He thought I was somebody that I really wasn't. I guess I look really different from the back than I do from the front. And that's all it took. And the best part was that he stayed for a full two minutes out of obligation probably to try to get to know me after that introduction. And now what happened? Well, he thought that I was someone else and he approached me and related to me differently based on that false belief. And here's why I say that, because I think there are a lot of Christians, they, they relate to Jesus in a way that they never would if they knew who he truly was. And they have these false ideas or these ideas that aren't quite accurate about who Jesus is and what's valuable to him, what he likes, what he dislikes, how he operates. And this is exactly what's happening in a story in Matthew chapter 16. And when I say story, I mean the gospel account of an event that really did take place. And this is an interesting strategic moment in Jesus' ministry. You have to remember, Jesus is making waves in Jerusalem and he is disruptive everywhere he goes, especially to the religious system. And so Jesus is healing people and not only is he healing them, he's healing them on the Sabbath. And that was a big no-no. And so he's defying and breaking religious protocol and that made the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all of the people in the religious structure very upset and very angry. And then there are people that are having their lives changed by him. And so you have to imagine there are all these rumors swirling around about who Jesus is. There's all these ideas of who Jesus is. Well, Jesus asks a really important question. First, he asks his disciples, who, who do people say that I am? What's, what's the word on the street? 
And they start just listing off all the rumors. Oh, some say you're Elijah. Some say you're Jeremiah. You're this prophet. You're that prophet. And, and then Jesus asked some more pointed question. I would argue this might be the most important question that any of us will ever answer about Jesus. He asked, well, who do you say that I am? And this was a really big deal. And Peter, I have to love Peter. Like I can relate to Peter because he's always sticking his foot in his mouth and he doesn't think real uh, you know, quickly about what he's saying. And he, he flies off at the mouth before he filters it. And I can just relate to him. And so Peter, this, this is one time Peter gets it right and he gets it really right. He says, well, Jesus, you are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus says, way to go, Peter. Like I can imagine Jesus being a little bit surprised, you know, that he said it. He's like, man, yeah, way to go. And he says, this wasn't revealed to you by flesh and blood. This was revealed to you by my father in heaven. And I wanna say this as we walk through this series called Reconstructing. Maybe you feel like you've been far from God and you need to rebuild your faith. Maybe you feel like my faith is in a good place. Either way, we have to build our life and build every part of our life on the reality of the revelation of who Jesus is. And the more you get to know Jesus, there is one thing that you discover about him. Jesus really loves this thing called the local church. Because this is what he goes on to say right after they make that statement. Jesus makes probably the most iconic statement in all of the Bible. He's been quoted for centuries saying this. And it is a earth-shaking, catalytic statement. I guarantee you it sent shivers down the devil's spine when he heard it. Jesus says, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Actually, he says in the original translation, the gates of hell or the gates of Haiti, and they, they are actually in this place called Caesarea Philippi, and it's a very wicked city. And they're at this literal location that is called the gates of hell. And this is where false worship was offered to the god Pan. He was a goat god, half man, half goat, played the flute. This is Pan, and it's a very wicked place. As a matter of fact, it's the last place you would ever expect a good Jewish boy to be. It was not kosher, I can tell you that. But this is where Jesus chooses to come and make this statement, I will build my church and the, hello, and the gates of hell will not, God's like, amen, come on, Joe. Get ready for a good message today. But this is cool because you have to put yourself in the disciple's shoes. Like they have grown up, they're, they're just teenagers and young adults. We forget this, but they are young. And they have grown up hearing from their grandparents and from their parents that there is a coming Messiah that is gonna rescue them from the oppression of the Roman government. And here they are, this is unthinkable. They are standing with the Messiah that they've heard about their whole life. And not only is the Messiah saying, I'm gonna build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. He's saying, I'm enlisting you in my army. You're gonna be the one that helps me build my church. That's an unbelievable statement. And this is so true for the disciples, but also 2,000 plus years later, this is true for us. Here's what you need to know. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are a part of the biggest building project the world has ever seen, the church of Jesus Christ. In Christianity, we are a part of the biggest construction project the world has ever seen. And there are so many things we can build in this world, but the church is the one thing that is eternal. The one thing that is gonna go on billions of years from now after this earth has come and gone, God's kingdom is gonna be there. Now, here's what Jesus goes on to say to his disciples. This is really what started to blow their minds. He says, not only am I gonna build my church and not only will the gates of hell not prevail against it, but he says, I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom. 
This was an incredible revelation to them. He's saying, whatever's been bound in heaven can be bound on earth through you. Whatever's been loosed in heaven can be loosed on earth through you. I'm building my church and I'm gonna do it through you. So today, for just the next few minutes, I wanna answer this question. If, if Jesus is building his church and we really do wanna please Jesus and the more we get to know who Jesus is, we discover that Jesus is really for his church, then one day I would love for every member of Believer's Church to stand before God and confidently say to Jesus, I was building it with you. I was a part of this kingdom that you were constructing on earth called the church of Jesus Christ. And so I just wanna share with you how we can do that. What does that look like practically as I go about my life here in Warren, Ohio or Boardman, Ohio or wherever I find myself living? What does that look like to build God's church? And I wanna start where any great building would get its start. I wanna start at the foundation because no building that is going to last has a weak foundation. The foundation always comes first and it's gotta be a firm foundation for the building to last and to stand the test of time. And so this is point number one, Jesus is the foundation. Jesus is the foundation. This is what Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16 says. God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah. He says this, this is pretty incredible. He says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. And in those biblical times, one thing that anyone that knew construction would tell you is the most important stone in any building project would have been the cornerstone. It was the, it was the stone on which the rest of the building's weight would lay. It was a really important thing. And so they're establishing in a prophecy that there is someone coming that is going to be the great cornerstone, the foundation of our faith. And the one who trusts will never be dismayed. And I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the plumb line. Jesus is the cornerstone, and we build our church, his church, on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Now, I like that it uses the phrase plumb line. I wanna show you a picture. This is a building many of us are familiar with. It's called One World Trade Center. And this is 94 stories in the air. It's a big building. This is a fun fact. It is 1,776 feet tall, 1776. So the year of our founding, that was just a little Easter egg they threw in there when they built it. Now get this, there are thousands and really tens of thousands of people by the time this building was built that had a hand in making it, had a hand in building it. And all of them were really important. They all played an important role. But when you start to talk to the, archi the architects and the people that were leading the construction project, they'll tell you there was one crew that was more important than any other crew, and they were called the plum crew. And here's what the plumb crew was responsible for. On every layer, every floor of the building, they came in and they inspected the work and they made sure that the building was plumb or that it was straight, that it was in alignment with the foundation. And this is interesting. You think, man, it's a skyscraper. It's almost a mile high. I'm sure they could be off by an inch or two and it wouldn't matter. No, in order for it to be called truly plumb, it had to be within an inch of the foundation and they shot for quarter inches. Now, why? Well, because a small deviation on floor one could bring a building down by floor 94. And I know so many people that really love God and, and they start out in the right place in their relationship with him, but it's just these small deviations over time. And, and 10 or 15 years into their relationship with God, we've got the leaning tower of Pisa and we wonder why. And it's because we haven't aligned ourselves with Jesus, the firm foundation of our faith. This is what 1 Corinthians 3.10 says. 
But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Can I just tell you, as leaders here at Believer's Church, we take this seriously. We do not take it lightly. We build with care this thing called the church, and it is built on the foundation of Jesus. We ought to build our marriage with care on the foundation of Jesus. We ought to build our parenting with care on the foundation of Jesus. Our finances, our career with care on Jesus because he's the foundation. All right, here's number two. And this is gonna sound so obvious, but there's a reason I'm gonna say it. This is his church. This is his church. Now I'm gonna say another thing that won't surprise you. I love Believer's Church. I don't know about you. It's the only church I've ever known. I've grown up here. There are things wrong with this church. I could give you a long list of the things wrong with them. They probably are all connected to me, but there are things wrong with this church. But you know what else I could tell you? I just love the church. I love everything about it. I love the people. I, I love just looking up and down the rows in each of the campuses, and I could point out people that have made a difference in my life and made an impact. I could do it at every campus. I got to see them today, and I'm visualizing boardmen in my mind and the people who can't come that are watching online. I love Believer's Church. I love the worship. I love the programs. I love the productions. I love it all, but I wanna say this. It's not my church. It's not even Pastor Joe or Pastor Gina's church. It's not our staff's church. It's not the Dream Team's church. It's his church. And if I could pick on pastors for a second, and I hope you'll allow me because I am one, maybe just allow me that liberty for a second. Pastors are amazing and you really do need a gift of a pastor and you need gifts of leaders to move the church forward. Every construction project needs a foreman, needs somebody that's helping people and organizing them and getting where they need to go. And oftentimes pastors... We have the, one of the toughest jobs on the planet because we have to build God's kingdom in our local church and then we have to kind of get out of the way so we don't get any of the glory. And, and we can have well-meaning pastors that really do want to grow bigger churches so they can make a big difference because there's some things you can do with big churches and through a bigger body of Christ than you can a small. And I wanna say this, there's nothing wrong with small and there's nothing wrong with big so long as they're built on the foundation of Jesus. But one of the things that I have noticed especially with, with pastors and with churches, there have been so many scandals. And Pastor Joe talked about this last week. There have been many pastors who are mere men that have failed and they've lost the, the trust of, of many people, especially the younger generation. And so the reason a lot of people deconstruct and disconnect from church is because I think they are observing that most pastors, not most, some pastors are more concerned with building a bigger congregation than they are building God's kingdom. They're more concerned with building a brand or a logo or an identity than they are with building the kingdom of God. Now, I'm in a unique position, and Pastor Joe and Gina get to do this too. I get to meet so many pastors, and we get to connect with pastors from all over the country and encourage them. And so I'm sharing the next little segment just so you can see behind the curtain of what I think pastors struggle with, because they're amazing people, and we have to constantly be vigilant about making sure that the things that matter the most stay the things that matter the most. But here's, here's where these symptoms come from. I think they stem from how our world, and especially in America, how we measure success. So in America, everything that is bigger is better, right? We're always like, how can we do it bigger? Bigger is the best. And then on top of it, we, we might not even say it out loud, but we think the size indicates the significance. And so if a pastor buys into this ideology, here's the only way we can measure success. It's attendance. 
It's just physical growth of how many people we can squeeze into a room on Sunday. And guess what? When a pandemic happens and physical attendance is yanked away from you, I can't tell you how many pastors had an existential crisis because there was no way to measure if what I'm doing is even making a difference. I was looking at this Barna poll and 38% of the pastors that were polled said they considered quitting ministry in the last year. And there are many reasons to that. The pandemic was kind of stressful for pastors. I don't know if you're aware of that, but it was stressful for everyone. And it all stems back to how am I measuring a successful church doing what matters in ministry? Now, this gets me to thinking about a building project in the Bible. You can find it in Genesis chapter 11. It's called Babel. This is interesting. I can't help but see all of these parallels between this ancient city and the modern church. I got to preach this at at several different pastors' retreats and and leadership events. And, And out of all the things I've ever preached, I've never seen a message resonate so much with people because it gets to the heart of what's going on in our soul. And so Babel, if you were to look at them from the outside, you would say, man, they're successful. It's big. Everyone in the world, as a matter of fact, at that time was flocking to see what they were doing. The Bible actually says this. You don't even have to read between the lines. It says they were, they were building with different materials than had ever been built before. They were building with brick and mortar. And so they were able to build it higher and better and bigger than ever. And so people were coming from all over. If they were a church, they would have been on Outreach Magazine's fastest growing church list. The pastor probably would have had a best-selling book. They would have gone on tour. Everything was up and to the right. They were winning by every metric except, listen, except the one that mattered. I wanna say this, God has no problems with innovation. God is a creative, innovative God. I think it is so innovative and so cool that we could have a campus that is called BC Traditional. And it's not just so we could appease people that like a different worship style. That's great if they enjoy that in, in a different way. But it's so we can have a mission field for people that enjoy traditional worship, but maybe they don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. It's innovative that we get to talk to every campus right now and online through the internet. That's cool. We're reaching people that we never thought we could. What an innovative thing. It's not the problem of innovation. The question is, what's the motivation? So let's take a look at what the motive was as they built this tower called Babel. Listen to the language here in Genesis 11:4. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Yikes. Let me say this. I'm a communications major. If you couldn't tell, I like communicating. I like marketing. I don't know about you, but I think we have the best message in the whole world and we ought to be able to communicate it and spread it as clearly as we can. As a matter of fact, I think bad marketing can muddy the message of the gospel. So I'm all for marketing, but I want to say this. If people walk away from this gathering today and the name that they remember is Joe Caminetti instead of Jesus Christ, we fail, we lose. If people are more familiar with Believer's Church than with Jesus' Church, we lose. It's his church. It's gotta be his church. And can I just tell you what we're not building consequently? It's good for you to hear pastors say this. We're not building a brand. We're not building a platform. We're not building an ego. We're not building a logo. We're building the church of Jesus Christ. Is anybody at every campus with me on that, that we're here to build the kingdom of God and build his church? Come on, you could do better than that. We're building Jesus' church. Here's the scariest thing about Babel. God comes down to see the city. 
And I know God's inside of all of us, but can you just imagine for a second, God comes as a secret shopper to BC today. He's just hanging out in the lobbies. I mean, can you imagine what that would be? I can't even picture how that would feel, but, but man, it, it just makes me look through, look at, look at church through a different lens. And he comes down and the number one thing he encounters in, in Babel is pride. And that's the thing that causes God to resist us. He resists the proud. And this is interesting. I mean, we could preach a whole message on it, but very quickly, just, just an interesting thought. One of the things that God had commanded them to do was to be fruitful and multiply. But they were ignoring that command, staying where they were comfortable and building something for themselves. I mean, I wonder how many church people who really love God and maybe started out on the right foundation because they didn't remember who it was all for, they just start congregating in comfort. Babel spoke the same language. I wonder how many Christians, we just only speak the language of other Christians. We call that Christianese where I'm from. And we lose the skill of reaching lost people and we just build this thing for ourselves. And here's the cautionary tale. God makes a statement about them that I have always been so fascinated by. He could have made a lot of observations, but this is the observation the God of all creation makes about them. He says, if they are unified, speaking the same language, there's nothing they cannot do. So this is why it should be terrifying to a pastor and terrifying to a church in this, in this time, because it is possible to be winning in all the wrong ways, growing from the outside and still be far away from the mission that Jesus called us to. Like we could be really good. Like here's how I heard God say it. We could fool ourselves with full rooms and God loves a full house and there's nothing wrong with people coming together. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 commands it. But it's gotta be deeper than that. Here's, here's what God's been dealing with me to do as a pastor and a pandemic will take this, <laughs> the motives right out of you that are displeasing to God. He's just been challenging me to measure what matters. Measure the miracles can I tell you, as much as I love big attendance weekends, my identity and who I am and the way that I know if we're successful is not connected to how many people are in the seats this weekend. Because if that's the case, then on Easter weekend, I'm riding the high of my life and the next weekend is always the lowest attendance weekend of the whole year. It's just how it works, you know? See you at Christmas. You know, this is how it usually works. Oh, but it's gotta be bigger than attendance. God's been challenging me. Can you just measure repentance? Oh, because it's not just about, can I get someone to raise their hand at the end of the service? That's awesome. That's the beginning of their journey. But it's not just raising their hand. It's bowing their knee to Jesus and saying, I will surrender every part of my life to you because this is your church. Oh, it's gotta be bigger than buildings. It's gotta be bigger than conferences. It's gotta be bigger than a platform and a podcast and bigger than our YouTube presence and bigger than Facebook and Instagram and TikTok. This is his church. We gotta measure the miracles. Let me show you a picture. This is one miracle. I could share miracles all day long at every campus, but this is one. His name is Robbie. Robbie started coming to BC Boardman about four years ago, and he had been delivered from a past with substance abuse and drugs and alcohol, pretty serious. Well, he went through a very difficult thing in his relationship, and he ended up relapsing. He found himself in the same place, but like even worse. And Robbie was always so honest. So I'd check in with him and just say, hey, how are you, where you've been? And he would always say, I miss you guys, but I'm just struggling. And so he would get his life right for a little bit and go right back to it. And I remember two years ago, we had someone coming into our church named Blaine Bartell. And if you've never heard his story, you could just Google Blaine Bartell, 
hope over addiction. And that was the message that he preached this weekend at our, that, that weekend at our church. And I remember just telling Robbie, I was pleading with him, can you just get to church this weekend? And he, he was just so honest with me. When I saw him, it honestly, I, I had the thought, he's not gonna last much longer if he doesn't change something. He, he was close to death from what I could tell. But he came that weekend to BC Boardman, listened to the message, and God so got a hold of his heart that after the message, he said, can you pray with me? We prayed, and then we started talking about going to a rehab that day. His mom had offered to drive him there, get him to where he needed to go. So I said, text me when you get in the van on your way to the airport. So he goes home, his mom takes him to the airport, flies to a rehab facility in California, and get this, two years later, I just got a text from him a month ago, and he said, Joe, I can't thank you enough. I have been clean and sober for two years, and now I am a, dr a licensed drug and alcohol counselor, and I'm leading the recovery home here in California. And he just texted me this morning, he was watching in the 9 a.m. service, and he said, all glory goes to God. I think we ought to give it up for Robbie and the miracles that are happening at every campus. Oh, measure the miracles. You know what's so liberating to me? I think that the reason most pastors that are having moral failures and making scandalous decisions, the reason most of them are buckling is because they're buckling under the weight that they were never meant to carry. And so entire churches are being built on a personality and being built on gifts, and they're not relying on the strength of God, and that makes you a performer. And so every time you perform and you get the hit and the dopamine rush of people telling you that was great, pastor, that changed my life, then you and your own ability have to manufacture something the next week that'll be better and bigger. Oh, but when you do it in God's strength and you realize, God, this isn't my church anyways, and even if I messed up and, and I wasn't in the picture, you would still build your church. Can I tell you how liberating that is? And it also liberates me because I used to be so self-conscious about calling people to sacrifice and to serve and to give in God's church. And it is the most liberating thing when I know that it's not my church that I'm building, it's his. Here's number three. We are the construction material. This is a cool one. This might be a brand new idea for some of you. We are the construction material. In other words, in the church that Jesus is building, we are what he's making it out of. 1 Peter 2.5 says it this way. I like the translation. You believers, this is amplified. You believers like living stones are being built up into a spiritual house for a holy and dedicated priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable and pleasing to God through Jesus Christ. How cool is that? You're not a rolling stone, you're a living stone. And God's called you to do something really cool in this bigger picture called the church. And this is what's amazing. When we start to get a hold of this revelation that Jesus is the cornerstone and we're living stones, then we start to build something together that we could never build apart. We recognize we are the construction material. This is what God commissions pastors to do, by the way, in Ephesians 4.12, telling us what our primary responsibility as leaders in the church should be. And this might surprise you. Equip the saints for the work of ministry, for what? For the building up of the body of Christ. It's always funny when I get to talk to people and they ask me like, what do you do all week? Because pastors only work one day a week, right? You know, like this is what anybody that hasn't been in church a while would think. 
And, and as much as we like to think that like a primary job of a pastor is to bring a message that will inspire you every week, which is great, by the way, and important, that's not our primary responsibility. Making sure we have great worship services, awesome, but not our primary responsibility. Making sure we have connect groups and programs for the kids and outreaches, all great things, not our primary responsibility. No, our responsibility as pastors is to equip the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ, living stones that are built on the cornerstone, Jesus Christ. Now, real quick, while we're at it, I just wanna to talk to you about Growth Track. Because for, for many of us, we hear about Growth Track every week, and maybe it would just help to hear what Growth Track is all about. We say our mission here at Believer's Church is to help people to know God and find freedom, and then Growth Track helps us accomplish the last two discover your purpose and make a difference. Growth Track is really designed to help you discover who you are as a living stone in the house of God. And so I wanna say this, if you're just going through Growth Track and in your mind you're thinking, this is just the way they onboard me and get me to sign on the dotted line so I can serve, oh, you will sell it so short. Growth Track is not the process of discipleship, it's just the first step. It's just saying, God, here's something to work with. I wanna serve you with everything I've got. And there are people in this room that have a calling and a gifting on the inside of you that could literally change the life of someone else. And God's just asking you to take a step. Maybe some of you had served in the past and because you were taking care of someone who was ill, a parent that passed away, busy with life, whatever it might be, you've, you've jumped out of serving. And maybe in this season, God's just saying, just take a step, jump back in. Maybe for some of you, you've never gotten to be a part of something that's bigger than yourself. And this is gonna be the moment in your life where you just say, hey, I'm a living stone in the house of God. I wanna be a part of what God is doing in his church. Real quick, I wanna mention one other thing. It's SEU. You've heard us mention this if you've been here a while. We're partnering with Southeastern University. And this is a cool way that you can do Christian education, one of the best universities in the country, and you could do it right here locally. And so I wanna say this, we really do believe that as Believers Church, we are here on mission to make a difference in our city. And we believe there are more campuses to plant, there are more, there are more children to be raised up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. There are new people that need to be saved, outreaches that need to be done. And we're enlisting you in his army. And there are some people that you're in a gap year right now and you've been wondering why you don't know what you're gonna do with your life. And this is what God's saying for you to do. He wants you to just take a step and sign up. Some of you aren't called to go through SEU, but you have a ministry call. And, and I just wanna challenge you, just tell your leader, tell the pastor at your campus, I feel called to ministry, help me take a step there. And maybe you don't need to go through SEU, but you need to go through a ministry internship here. Just take a step and do something, but God will bless that. So I'm gonna challenge you today, walk out to the green wall and sign up for Growth Track. You can start step two next weekend. Some of you went through Growth Track and then we haven't heard back from you and you just need to follow up on what you said you wanted to do through Growth Track. Just jump in. Nobody's gonna judge you. They're just gonna be excited for you. Just take a step, all right? Here's number four. This is the home stretch. This is important. We build his church together. Let me ask you this. If I were... Let's just imagine for a moment, I'm one of the greatest architects in the world, okay? And I've won awards for my designs and I have some really incredible blueprints. We have a site where we know we wanna build the structure. But what if I couldn't get any of the materials to come together? What if I was tasked with building something but I couldn't let any of the materials touch? What if, what if they were all held up 
in some kind of a cargo container out in the ocean, and I couldn't get it to the site. Wouldn't, wouldn't matter how great the architect was or how amazing the blueprint or the design was. It wouldn't even matter how great the, the materials were. If I couldn't get them to come together, I could not construct what I was trying to construct because construction can't happen unless the building blocks come together. And I wanna remind you, Jesus says, I will build my church. And what does he say after that? And the gates of hell can't prevail against it. So it would stand to reason that the devil doesn't want me to be connected as a living stone to the house that God is building. He'll do anything he can to distract me, to disconnect me from what God is building. The devil is, he's the zoning committee. He's the EPA in the building that we're trying to build. He's, he's throwing every code at you he can in the book, every reason he can to say, you're not allowed to build here the way you feel you're supposed to build here. And this can happen in all sorts of ways. Maybe for some of us, we disconnect because of the pain that people cause us in God's church. Pastor Joe did a great job, by the way, on that topic. He talked about church hurt. So if you didn't hear that last week, go back and listen to that. It'll be helpful. Bob Goff says it this way. Most people, they don't have a problem with the steeple. They have a problem with the people. Most people don't go to church because they've been to one. We could say it that way, right? And so we disconnect. Maybe, oh, here's another one. Maybe we just get busy building other things. We just get busy building our careers. We get busy building our families. All good things, by the way, right? Maybe we get busy building our kids' sports career. We get busy balling. And we get distracted from the building project that we're called to. It, it reminds me, actually, of this moment with God's people, this is in 520 BC. The prophet Haggai writes about this. And this is interesting. God's people have been in exile under Babylonian rule for many years, and then Persia, they conquer Babylon. And Persia was a little bit more lenient on what they would allow the exiles to do. So Persia actually allowed them to leave their, where they were in captivity and go back to Jerusalem and begin to rebuild Jerusalem. It was a really amazing moment. So they've now been in Jerusalem for a while and they're supposed to be rebuilding God's temple, but they've gotten busy doing other things. That's where I wanna pick up. This is Haggai 1.7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways, go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house. Why? That I might take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. It glorifies God. He takes pleasure when we build his house. I just wanna point that out. But look what he goes on to say. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. Yikes. And can I tell you, I'm at the front of that line because it is so easy to do. And I don't say this to condemn one person. I'm so excited. There are so many people in God's house right now. So I'm preaching to the choir. There might be somebody that's watching though that feels a little bit condemned or judged. And can I just tell you, there's no condemnation, but I do pray this convicts us. And if we find ourselves busy building other things instead of building God's house, I wanna point this out. This is the Old Testament and we could preach a whole 15 minute sub journey on this one point. God doesn't work the same way in the old covenant as he does the new but can we point out one principle? It blesses God when we build his house. He's excited about it. And there's actually a blessing connected to building his house. This is why Matthew says, hey, if you seek first building the kingdom, 
and his righteousness, everything else will be added to you. Even the temporal things, God will take care of it. He'll take care of where you eat, what you eat and what you wear and where you live. Those things matter to him. This is why the parable of the talents, the person that multiplied what God had given and leveraged it for his kingdom for eternity, God blessed them. And he didn't just bless them with temporal things. And that's okay, that happens. But he blesses them with eternal rewards. And I don't think we fully understand what that'll look like. And that's okay. But one day we will stand before God and he will ask me, how did you help me build my house? And there will be a reward that you receive for all of eternity for how you participated in the building project. What an incredible thing that there are eternal rewards that we can't comprehend connected to constructing God's house. Now, since I'm talking to people online and maybe there are some of you in the room and you would say, man, I, this is news to me or I've kind, of, I've kind of struggled in this area. Can I just say some things that will encourage you for a second, especially somebody that maybe you've, you've been out of church for a while. Let me just encourage you with this thought that for all of us, I think uh, I'll give you a great example. Here, here, I'll go this direction. I know for me, um, I get to experience this as a pastor. So, you know, I go to all the same places you do during the week. And sometimes I'll be like in a grocery store and I can see it happening from a mile away. I see someone that spots me and I know they haven't been to church in a while, you know, and they kind of just duck behind the aisle, you know. <laughs> I didn't know Pastor Joe shopped at grocery stores too, you know? And I promise, I, like, I've often been tempted to mess with them, but I never do, I never do. I always just, I just lovingly say, hey, it's never too late to just jump back in. Nobody's judging you here. There's no perfect people allowed. But I got to get a taste of my own medicine. And this was kind of funny. This is a couple years ago. I'm at Texas Roadhouse and I run into my gym, uh, my gym owner in the wild. Like he was the table next to me. And I hadn't been to the gym in a long time. And I had been paying my dues every month. Anybody else relate to me on that? The amount of money I have spent not using the gym. But, but it was so funny. If Christians could just love people that have strayed away the way this gym owner loved me. He was so encouraging. This guy is ripped. I mean, I don't know if he's eaten a carbohydrate since 2003. Like, I don't know if he ever makes bad decisions. But I'm like, I'm not eating something healthy and he's like, hey, we've missed you. I'm like, yeah, no, I've been, yeah, I've been meaning to get back, you know, because everybody always tells me, I was planning on coming this Sunday. And it's like, that's crazy. I haven't seen you for 16 years this Sunday. That's crazy. <laughs> but that's what, I, that's what I told him, you know. I, I mean, I was just getting ready to get back, you know. Been working out at home, body by Jake, you know, <laughs> throwback. <laughs> but you know what he told me? He just said, hey, just jump back in. You belong we love you. He loved me right where I was, which I'm pretty sure was wrist deep in a, in a you know, blooming onion. That's like where I was in that moment. <laughs> but let me tell you this, that motivated me more than any rule book, any judgment, any criticism ever could. And so can I just tell you what he told me? Hey, just jump back in. I, I had convinced myself that I could just work out at home. You know how we all do this, you know? And the reality was I was doing way more sitting than I was sit-ups and I was just kind of comfortable and I just needed somebody to kind of just get me out of the funk. You, you can't build God's kingdom from your couch. You can't be a living stone if you're not willing to connect with other living stones who are connected to the cornerstone. And we do this together. We need you. We're almost done, but I wanna show you a picture. This is the Rockefeller Plaza in the Rockefeller building. We're all familiar with this. They have a plaque that rests at the top of the Rockefeller Center. And it says this, 
75,000 people built this building. 75,000 people working together. And I love this. Do you know how long the project would have taken if only one person tried to do it? They have on this plaque. It would have taken 33,330 years for one person to build it alone. And this is really what Jesus is saying to his church. Hey, could I have chosen to build my church all by myself? Absolutely. But I've chosen to enlist you to help me to build it together. And God's calling us to do it with the unique gift and the unique calling that he has placed on every one of our lives. Here's the fifth and final thing as we build God's church. Number five, living stones live on mission. Living stones live on mission. You probably heard us say this over the past year, but we are about a year away, year and a half, from celebrating the 40th birthday of Believer's Church. Can you believe that? 40 years old. I guess that means we need to like start dyeing our hair and buy a red Corvette or something. I don't know, but 40 years old. And one of the things that we've been doing is we've been gathering together with some of our leaders and just dreaming and praying about what is it that you want us to do with the next 40 years? God, what are you asking us to do in the next 10 years, the next five years? What would that look like? And I'm sure we're gonna have a lot more details that we can bring to you next year when we cross that threshold. But one thing that we could not escape, no one disagreed on this. This is our mission. We exist so that we can be a multiplying movement of disciples making other disciples. This is why Believer's Church exists. We're not building a brand. We're not building an ego or a logo. We're building the church of Jesus Christ. That's our mission. Living stones built on the cornerstone. Now, just so you can see what we're up against, I just got curious and I looked up how many people, just in Trumbull County and Mahoning County, I could have gone further out. Our reach and our touch is definitely a little bit bigger than that. But I just thought, all right, how about these neighborhoods that are around our campuses and these communities that are around Warren and Boardman? And I wanted to know how many of those people identify as a Christ follower. And so obviously there are gonna be people that say, I go to church, but then they don't truly know Jesus. So the number is likely much higher, but I just want to put perspective on this. In Trumbull and Mahoney County alone, 212,054 people at the very least do not know Jesus. Let that sink in. 212,054 people at the very least do not know Jesus. Can I give you an even better visual? I think most of us have been to the Cavelli Center. It's a pretty big building. I wanted to know how many times over could you fill the Cavelli Center with that many people? You could fill the Cavelli Center top to the nosebleeds 35 times. All of those people are our friends and our family and even our enemies that do not know Jesus. And if they were to die today, they'd be separated from him eternally. This is our mission. And living stones live on mission. And so as we draw to a close, here's the real question we're asking. Joe, if I'm a living stone in the house of God, built on the cornerstone, and we're called to do this together, and we're called to live on mission, and if living stones love the local church, where do I start? Can I tell you where you start? You can start where Nehemiah started. This was a different chapter in the same story of the exiles returning to Jerusalem, and Nehemiah's number one assignment was to rebuild the walls around the city. And they built all of these walls. They reconstructed all of these walls in 52 days. It was a remarkable engineering and construction feat. You know how they did it? 
Here's what they did. They, the strategy was have every person build the wall in front of their neighborhood, in front of where they lived. In other words, just start right where you are. And I think so many of us feel overwhelmed by the idea of reaching 212,000 people and we think, how could God ever use me to even make a dent in that? And the answer is just to obey him and be a living stone in the house that God is building right where you are. God's calling you to be a living stone and live on mission in your neighborhood. He's calling you to live on mission in the locker room, at your soccer game, at the dance studio, at your job, at your family gatherings, at the neighborhood barbecue. He's just calling you to start right where you are. And so we're gonna pray and close out the service. And at each campus, Jimmy Santangelo is gonna come up and boardman and Pastor Gina here. And they're gonna talk to you about some different ways that you can not just be in rows, but you can get in circles and begin to serve and connect with other living stones in God's house. And can I just challenge you? Let this be the moment that you say, I'm all in. God, I'm a living stone and I love your local church and I'm living on mission to see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Can I invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes at every campus? It's so cool to see this happen. I get to, to look every week at people that are making this decision, but this is the most important decision. This is what Jesus was talking about when he said, who do you say that I am? Because people in this world will tell you that Jesus was a great philosopher. Jesus might have even been a prophet to some people, but, but Jesus says this about himself. He says, no, in a world that will tell you there's all kinds of different ways to heaven, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So here's my question to you. Can you remember a moment in your life, not when you were baptized, not when you were confirmed, not when you went through your first communion? All of those are beautiful moments. I don't wanna take away from those. We're not talking about church attendance. We're not talking about your good works outweighing your bad. No, we're just asking, can you remember a moment in your life where you said, Jesus, I don't just call you God, I call you Lord. You get to sit in the driver's seat of my life. You're calling the shots from this point on. And if you can't remember a moment in your life when that happened, can I just encourage you? Today is the day. The Bible says, call upon the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. So at every campus, online even, if you, if you would like to take that step, there are a lot of people around you that have already taken that step and I'm gonna ask them to pray with us. And can you repeat this after me? And I really believe if you mean this in your heart, a miracle will take place. And you could know that you're gonna spend the rest of your eternity with God in a place called heaven. And the coolest part is that he wants to get involved in every part of your life in the here and now. Let's pray this together. Dear God, thank you for Jesus Thank you that he died in my place on the cross and he took the punishment, the penalty for my sin upon himself. He became sin and he forgave sin in my life. And now he calls me a son, a daughter of God. I receive that free gift of salvation. And I won't be perfect, but every day I'm going to take a step to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. There are a couple things I'd love for you to do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. That helps us spread the word and impact more people. You can also help us see others connected to God by investing today at believers.cc slash give. And if you want updates on all things Believers Church, check out believers.cc or follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram or search Believers The Connecting Place on Facebook. The best way to connect with BC is live and in person at one of our weekend worship experiences. We have locations in Boardman and Warren, and you can get the service times and plan your visit at believers.cc. Thanks for tuning in to the BC Podcast. Thank you.